this editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. But the concept when we started Doc was to create a play art to to challenge ourselves, to challenge our consumers, and also challenge the, the Belgian beer and brewing scene. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought we were a bunch of morons in the beginning who was just putting up some middle fingers. Uh, we're more uh, nuanced than that, uh, you should know. Uh, I really uh, have a lot of respect for, for the entire Belgian brewing community. Um, but it's super nice now after after a couple of years of Doc, that we're getting a lot of respect from, from the bigger boys too now. I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. Janos de Bats is the head brewer and co-owner of Doc Brewing Company in Ghent. His brewing experience includes six years at the Proofbrauerei in Lucristi, as well as several years with Hedonis Ambachsbier. Now Janos is self-admittedly an obsessive personality. He throws his whole self into everything he does in brewing, and this intensity spills over into other parts of his life too. For example, he recently started running and he's currently training for the Marathon des Sables next March, a six-day ultra-marathon which covers the distance of six regular marathons. It's regarded as the toughest foot race on earth. Janos poured a few beers for me from the taps at the Dock Brew Pub and we talked about his childhood, his experiences at the Proof, uh, the beer scene in Ghent, and what role tradition plays in Belgian beer today. He's become a real leader, not just among the beer community in Ghent, but for a whole new wave of small, but quickly maturing independent Belgian breweries. And it's easy to see why from this chat. He's intelligent, he's thoughtful, and he's honest. So sit back, Listen and enjoy Janos de Bats of Doc Brewing Company in Ghent. Drinking a camel tooth, 
And uh, Camel Tooth is actually a, a collaboration between Doc and uh, Alterbrew. Alterbrew is a research project uh, between uh, Hohand, Kai Leuven and uh, uh, Uhand. Um, and the, the, the project basically is all about um, brewing with uh, pseudo grains or alternative grains. Um, so this beer is brewed with a Corazon Kamut wheat. Basically it's Corazon wheat, but Kamut is the, is the brand name because uh, it's a, how do you say, the registered trademark? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's still the original cereal, the original wheat from back in Mesopotamia. So it's a, it's a, a wheat which has never been crossbred or genetically modified. Um, and uh, is that something that those three um, educational institutions were working on and then they needed to find someone to help brew it in practice? Well, this is a case study for the project. So at the end of the project, they uh, they had two case studies, one at us and one at the Open at uh, in, in Harlem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you need to find brewers uh, who want to make a batch of beer with it. Uh, of course, that's one of our benefits is that we don't have a core range, so we, we love to play around uh, with, with new ingredients. Like before the case study, we already had two beers with different wheat varieties also from that project, but we didn't apply as a, as a case study, and that's probably also the reason why they contacted us. Um, but it's, it's something super nice because it's, it's, it's actually super, super old school, the wheat variety itself. Uh, it's also really um, innovating in its way because nobody uses that grain anymore. It's also... A, a, a so it's, it's, a, it's a Kolsch style beer? Yeah, yeah it's a Kolsch style beer because I re we really wanted to let the ingredients sh shine through. So it's... Uh, um, let me think. It's 33% um, unmalted Corazon wheat and the rest is Pilsner malt. Uh, and then it's just moderately hopped with uh, only sass. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Kolsch type uh, fermentations are really cold that uh, the yeast won't cover up too much flavors of the original grain. And then yeah. the grain in, 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 in comparison to, to regular wheat, it doesn't even look like regular wheat. It has a different kind of shape. That's also the kind, that's also why they, they call it camel tooth in Turkey. So the camel tooth, people think it's a, it's a funny name and we just made a, a funny name again, but it's actually the name of the, the wheat in Turkey. Okay. Um, and the, the, yeah, the, the nice thing about that grain is that it's a grain that it's um, um, how, how a wheat variety can be before it was processed because it has a higher gluten content uh, than regular wheat, but people who are gluten intolerant, most of them can tolerate it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. does that suggest that sort of gluten allergies have kind of increased as food has become more processed? Yeah, I think that's a general fact we're all aware of. Huh? Uh, and and like so, so when you tasted this for the first time, or when you sort of took it out of the tank after a week of fermentation, or when you started conditioning, like did you notice anything that you felt? Oh, this is a little bit different actually to some of the other wheat beers I've brewed. Uh, it all started with uh, with the mill. When we well, we opened up the bag, you saw the 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 shape of the wheat. It's a different, completely different kind of shape. You tasted it, it has this nuttiness in the grain itself, uh, and it's super hard. Uh, like the, the guys, from the researcher from the university, Jeroen, he came in and he said, like, yeah, do you have a hammer mill? Because a hammer mill is, should be perfect. I said, yeah, no, we're a small brewery, so we don't have that. <laughs> yeah, I hope we don't uh, fuck up your mill. 
And the, the sound when it went through that mill was like we're milling. You were worried it, it actually broke the yeah, mill? Yeah, it was like we're milling rocks. <laughs> um, yeah, and also even in the Mashington, the foam uh, formation. And we also, it was like a really super dense foam, as you can see from the beer now on, mm -hmm. uh, from the beer too. Uh, and then in the fermentation tank, I think immediately the, the, the really the nuttiness and the, the really gentle, kind of velvety, soft mouthfeel is uh, it's way more present than with a, a regular wheat variety. Yeah, it, 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 that's what I was going to say. It does have like this more, um, I want to say maltiness, but it's, it's not maltiness. It's like there's, the, there's a, like a crackery, nutty kind of uh, feeling to it, you know, that's yeah. very present in the mouth. Yeah. I think there, there is maybe like a small hint of citrus, maybe from the yeast or something, very, very much in the background. But it's just a really drinkable beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, the citrus, it, I think it's kind of a symbiosis between the, the wheat and sass, because sass is this kind of hop that you ne can never put your finger on. Uh, you know, with sass, you can never overdose it because it just, it's green velvet. Uh, you can never put too much sass in a beer. And it's always doing something, but it's never really pronounced. Is it herbal? Is it citrusy? Is it, uh, is it green? Is it grassy? Uh, it's like kind of all those stuff, but with a certain um, yeah, symbiosis factor, you get some citrusy mm -hmm. touches. Yeah. And I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this is, this is probably a good example of, you know, Doc's kind of output, which is very varied. And your own interest in kind of... Uh, um, history of beer traditions in brewing but also just trying out different stuff all the time um, for people that maybe haven't been to Dock or maybe have never heard of it um, can you maybe describe like what sort of a place it is uh, well of course we're a brew pub I think that's the biggest uh, 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 thing to say about Dock yeah, we're a brew pub so we're really a place where the brewery is in the center of the of the hall uh, of course it's also a food hall uh, we also do two restaurants here we have the, the barbecue restaurant rock which uh, makes uh, meat and vegetables slow cooked uh, in the smoker and then uh, on the grill too uh, we also have the burger place uh, booth behind us uh, and then of course there's also a pizzeria here um, uh, we are not running that but it's also in the hall so we have this big food hall with a a, a really a brewery central to it and then of course you have the tap room uh, we have 30 taps um, normally we have 10 to 15 beers of dock and then 10 to 15 beers or cider or wine or meat uh, of colleagues befriended colleagues of us uh, to be honest now we have I think we have more or less 20 beers uh, dock beers that's uh, also because of COVID because sales go up and sales go down and it's, it's really <laughs> yeah. hard to to, to, yeah, of course. to uh, to maintain a decent stock management, um, uh, but that's uh, that's something different, I think. And then the thing which really uh, defines the brewery is that we don't, uh, we aren't stuck with one style or we're with particular styles. Uh, for example, we don't have a core range, so all the beers we brew are unique beers. They're all several uh, different recipes. Uh, even if we have uh, some beer styles which always come back like a triple, like a saison, like an IPA.
So what have you just poured me? Uh, one of Belgium's finest. Huh? Uh, can't, can't you say what it is? <laughs> you, you as a Belgian uh, beer connoisseur? Is it is it from uh, De La Seine? Yeah. Talas Bulba? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got that kind of minerality, that hoppy, yeah, and that kind of um, uh, just a thirst quenching quality. Yeah, because it's not, it's it's it is fairly light bodied, you know. That's also how you pick it out from some of the other De La Seine beers. Yeah, well, it's light light bodied, and it's, it's it really has this firm but super clean and crisp bitterness. You also have this this really creamy texture in it despite the fact that it's actually super dry um, and I think the, the IBU rates of a, a De La Sambir uh, can't be neglected but yeah, you, ha you, have it, you have it all there in the back of yeah. your throat and it's very um, makes you want to take another drink yeah but it's not astringent at all and you know we'll talk later on about kind of Ghent and, and kind of Ghent identity but I guess I wanted to ask you about you know your kind of journey into, into beer in a little bit more detail because you're not actually from Ghent no so you were born in uh, basically I was born in Ostende but I never lived in Ostende uh, I, I was born underwater that's why I was born in Ostende because that was only one of the few hospitals where you could be born underwater <laughs> really? Uh, yeah um, but uh, basically I was raised half of my life uh, in Wareham which is southwest Flanders next to Anzheim uh, where mm -hmm. Verzet is located now. Uh, and that was half of my life. And then I uh, I lived two years, a uh, year and a half, two years in Spain. Uh, at my 14, and I and then I came to move. Uh, was that because your parents were working there or that you decided to? Yeah. Uh, my dad was actually pretty ill. And uh, one of the remedies he could have to, to be healthy for another 10 more years uh, was uh, moving to Spain. So we moved to Spain. Uh, that wasn't a big success. We came back. They moved back to Spain and I stayed here. Um, and then I went to move to, to Hand. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. I, I, I took my bicycle from Capreke because they had a, a bar there on the short term. They uh, came back to Belgium and I took my bike from Kapreke to Hent to uh, yeah basically to to, uh, to my cot to my yeah like student. your small student yeah. apartment yeah. I, um, um, and was Ghent just the nearest big city or was it, was it I was attracted to Hent I think uh, before after we moved back from 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 Spain I went back to Wareham and then I had this uh, good really nice uh, um, group of friends and we're still super close to each other um, but everybody moved from Wareham well, a lot of them stayed in Wareham but nobody wanted to go back to school in Wareham because I think we were all uh, uh, open-minded people in a, in a small-minded city um, so I think we were with seven or eight friends and we all a little, some went to Deense and uh, one uh, and I and, and another friend of mine we moved to Hand. 
uh, well, he came to school to Ghent. So I had this attraction. Uh, uh, and I, I went to, uh, to Ghent when I lived in Kaplijke for a half year or a year, I don't know. Uh, and I immediately fell in love with the city uh, because it's basically it's it's a big town. Everybody knows each other. You really had this vibrant nightlife, uh, which I really loved. I was a teenager. I uh, I had I have had been in, in social boycott for for. Uh, a year and a half, two years in Spain, uh, because I basically we moved there and I couldn't speak the language. And I was 14 when I arrived there. And I, then yeah, you're 14. You want to have friends. You want to have girlfriends. And you're yeah, and you can't uh, even communicate yeah, with other people. Uh, and, and it's a totally different culture. Yeah, yeah. So it's really difficult. So you're starting to get not frustrated. And then uh, I, I could understand my my dad that he really wanted to live there. But then all of a sudden you live in this farm uh, in between the mountains. Uh, completely away from society, you really needed to have a uh, how you call it a jeep to get there, uh, and then the, the smallest town was seven kilometers away, and it was super super small. So, yeah, that wasn't my uh, my way. So I, when you came back to Ghent and you had sort of all this activity, and it must have been like really eye opening then. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think Belgium is the is the capital of West Flanders. They always say, yeah, get it, yeah, get it. yeah, because what what happens with with I'm I'm not the only example of a, of a West Flemish guy who moved to Ghent. Uh, Everyone goes to college and stays. Yeah, yeah, because they love it so much. Yeah, Ghent is really an open-minded town. Uh, to be honest, now you can't call me a West Flemish guy anymore because I, I live more of my life in Ghent than in West Flanders. Yeah. But my roots yeah. are. are studying and I, I did the uh, social work but I, I, I was uh, more or less paying my uh, I'm, I'm really happy I had my uh, my grandmother my grandmother uh, she gave me a, a, basically some food a food supply for the week uh, and some pocket money um, but yeah um, Basically, I, I was struggling uh, a lot. I was going to financial struggle a lot, um, and um, so I started social work because even during high school, middle bar, I was already already living by myself. So I was already going through that phase for I think two and a half to three years, uh, seeing all your friends. They could go out and they they. Basically, nobody had a worry in their life because they were all living at home, and I needed to be. Uh, I needed to cook my own food. I yeah, you needed. needed to, yeah, you were uh, looking for the next meal. Basically. Yeah. Uh, so then I went to to uh, 
de hogeschool, de, de snap de, high school, maar is de yeah. how you call it? Yeah. It's like a third level education. Ja, yeah. uh, to do social work. And after six months, I just I thought like, yeah, now I'm I'm growing up now. I'm just gonna go and work. I'm I'm fed up with this uh, financial bullshit, and I'm just gonna hopefully gonna be able to work my way up the top, or just work my way up. And uh, yeah, my first my first job was mailman, and then I was then yeah, I was in the beginning I loved it, just ri- driving around your bike in hand. Uh, but yeah, you didn't get paid a lot. Um, then I thought like, okay, I want to get paid a lot, uh, a little bit more. And then I went to work in a factory. Uh, after two months, I was super. What, di- what did you do in the factory? Uh, I was assistant uh, bobineur, they called it. And basically, it was like they were cutting down big rolls of plastic foils, foils into small rolls <laughs> of plastic foils. <laughs> okay. And I wasn't even the guy. <laughs> Uh, handling the machine. I was the assistant of that guy. So I just needed to take all those rolls of the machine and put them on pallets and wrap them all day long, every oh day. Oh my God. Uh, different kinds of foils for every uh, packaging in food industry or pharmacy industry or whatever. Horrible. Uh, I, 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 I literally almost got depressed after two months and I thought like, is this growing up life? I was, I was earning a lot because I had early shifts, I had late shifts, I had night shifts so I was in this uh, you were like this is this is adulthood oh my god yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I thought like okay I need something to be proud of in my job I, okay I need something which is well well paid but decently paid because like being a mailman wasn't was pretty bad paid back then I don't know how it is now factory work was just plain horrible I couldn't put my switch off And I was like, every second that I was there, I was thinking like, what the fuck am I doing here? What the fuck am I doing? And I wanted to have like some conversation with somebody and nobody like got the, sa- the same feeling you were having. You just had like, get like, just work. Like just, so okay, factory work was nothing. And then I went into construction. And I thought like, okay, I want to do something with my hands. I want to be proud. I want to build stuff. Uh, and I don't mind working hard. Um, That was also not really it. I think uh, just like the lunch break talks with a lot of construction workers uh, weren't completely my thing. I was also not, I, I didn't had a lot of, um, uh, not not self-esteem, but uh, how you call Self-confidence? it? Self-confidence? Yeah. So basically you're in this world full of machos and you're not self-confident. Uh, and you're also still learning, so you're not this experienced guy, so you can't relate to your experience. So, yeah, and, and in the wrong environment, like that can, I can like put you back more than it could bring you on. For yeah, sure. yeah. So after a few jobs in construction, uh, basically I, w- I was I was miserable in life. I really uh, I wanted to find my my goal, and I, I had the feeling that I was not finding it. Um, and then I went to the to the website of the VDAB to basically the, the website for people who aren't yeah, employed. Lucas, yeah. uh, I don't know how Job they, seeking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I saw this this vacancy uh, assistant brewer at a brewery uh, in the neighborhood of Hent. Uh, and I went to apply. Uh, yeah. And my boss back then, he uh, well, the, the guy who I uh, applied to. He uh, he looked at my resume. He said, "Like you really don't have a stable resume. Like 
I'm, I'm, I really don't know if I can do anything with you. You look motivated, but I had a lot of motivated guys and everybody, they just, after a few weeks, your motivation will be gone. And I said like, okay, normally we have this testing period of... Yeah, like a trial. Yeah, I trial think three, week three weeks or three, three weeks, months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I said like, well, would you, what, I give you one week because, <laughs> because I don't have a good feeling with you. And this is at the proof. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my first working day, I, I came home and I was, I was euphoric. That was, that was really the thing I wanted to do. After one day? Yeah. What, what, was it, what was it that you saw on that day that you thought, this is for me? It was intellectually challenging. It was a completely new thing. It was about flavor. I know the products that came out of the brewery because I could also take some bottles home uh, after the first day, and um, it was yeah, it was process technology which I didn't understand anything at all. But it was like I'm gonna learn this. I'm gonna learn how this works. I'm gonna learn how yeast works. I'm, I'm gonna you step into this this cool cell and you see thirty to forty different hop varieties, which you you thought hop was one plant. And then you see all this, the people running around with, with bottles of yeast and then they're purging yeast and all this silly basic stuff that I was, I was super impressed. I was doing shitty jobs the last couple of years. Uh, I didn't really know who the proof was. And then I, 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 yeah, I did my research on the internet and apparently there was this super well-known international brewery with this kind of a, a brewing wizard uh, running the place and I was lucky enough to start there um, so so that, so then you had the week you did the week and the brewing wizard Dirk notes mm -hmm. sort of calls you in and says hey you know he just said that you've no, got that was horrible after a week he uh, he said Janus we need to have a talk so like, fuck this is going to be the talk. Uh, and after a week, he said, like, yeah, we decided uh, we were going to offer you a job as an assistant brewer, but we're not going to do that. Uh, you're going to be a brewer. So, so you, got, you got a job, you got a promotion from the job you were actually yeah, applying because for. <laughs> they were also looking for the, the brewer, and I wasn't the guy for that position. And do you think the reason for that decision was that he just saw that this guy will is a brewer? I, I, don't know, I don't know. I think nobody knows how, how Dirk's mind uh, works. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, so let, how, let, how let's, long let's keep it to the fact that I was super lucky with... Uh, and how long did you spend at the Proof? Uh, six years. So that was very formative in terms of how you brew, I guess, and what you learned and how you learned. I think my whole um, foundation of what I know... Uh, no, or not what I know, what I... How I look uh, opposed to brewing has been funded there. Um, a lot of knowledge comes from there, but uh, I've been super, since I started working there, I started reading basically 24 seven about brewing, articles, podcasts, uh, books. I did uh, two different courses uh, already, one from Caio Leuven, I think last year, and then one at uh, Pantare. Um, um, and I started homebrewing. 
Oh, and, uh, and I think it was during that time you also started Hedonis. Yeah, first I started homebrewing. Yeah, I really started to become a, mani- a maniac. Uh, it, it sounds like it was quite obsessive. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it never stopped. It, uh, I'm, I'm still equally obsessed, I think. Uh, I think I think uh, then I was an obsessed amateur, and now I'm um, I'm already carrying some experience, uh, so I don't need to be super stressed about uh, being so obsessed to to gain more knowledge. I'm I'm, I'm still busy with that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I c- yeah, I, but it's, I, it's like I, it, it's a different process because it's like squeezing an orange. When you yeah. first squeeze the orange, you get a lot of juice. You can continue squeezing, but the the juice becomes less and less. But I think it's a, it's a lifelong journey that you know. Again, you know, and, and they say that the more you um, know, the more you you know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a perfect way of putting it. Um, when I, when I was a home brewer, for example, the day before I brewed, the first year basically. Uh, I started brewing together with Leopold from from Hedonis. That was basically the roots from Hedonis. Um, I never could sleep the night before. I was just constantly rethinking about what we were going to brew and if I was putting the the right ingredients in the recipe or how we were going to do it. Or and every time when he came in, I already put coffee and I said like, "Yeah, uh, what are we going to brew today?" And I said. Uh, like, hey, are you okay? Like, yeah, I didn't sleep. Like, why didn't you sleep? Like, yeah, we were brewing today. Like, but, hey, but why are you... Just so excited or so... I was excited and stressed and, and just, like, eager to... to Make be it the full experience that it could possibly be. Yeah. To, 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 to just give the best of yourself. And I was unexperienced back then. So the only way to um, to get some rest was to think about every detail we were going to do well I want on that we'll come back to the journey in beer a little bit more but it's just on that point that I'm aware that you have fairly recently become um, a keen runner and when I say keen runner I mean an obsessive runner so um, I heard that you are now doing Ironman events I did Ironman in September. Uh, I'm gonna do probably Ironman in 2023 again, um, but I'm, I'm running Marathon de Sable uh, end of March. So the Ironman was kind of part of the preparation for uh, Marathon de Sable. So the Marathon de Sable takes place in, I think it's is it in the Moroccan Sahara? Yeah. Every, every Southern Sahara every year. Every year, and, and what's the, what are the, is it a run, totally a run over yeah. a certain distance? It's one week. Uh, 258 kilometers a week so it's basically it has six uh, phases and you run a marathon almost every day and the fifth day you run a double one so basically (laughs) it's a a seven day journey um, but the sixth day you do a double marathon and and otherwise you do a marathon every other day well more no every day so you do a marathon every day, and on one day you do two marathons. Yeah. And you do this all in a week? In a week. And you carry your own supplies. So you carry your food for an entire week, your clothes for an entire week, your sleeping. So they have this bivac uh, camp they put up for you, 
but they don't put sleeping mats or, or uh, sleeping bags or whatsoever. The only thing they supply is water. So you have to bring all your nutrition, all your all, everything to fuel you. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, what what drew you to something like that? Um, I I started um, training for a marathon. I think three years ago. Um, and what 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 was the reason for that first step? I, I, um, to be honest, I think escaping. I'm I'm a, I'm a big uh, escapist. I, um, I are you trying to escape from certain things in your life, or are you trying to escape from your own head? Yeah, I think mostly the last. Um, I don't know if it was three years ago. Probably it's already four. It's four, four maybe five years ago already. I'm not. I'm not so good with dates. Um, yeah, um, I think periods with with, with big big amounts of uh, of stress. Uh, yeah, I was uh, reconstructing a house with my with my ex girlfriend. Uh, gonna start to have a kid. Working at the proof. Hedonis was there. You weren't talking about uh, about Doc yet. Not yet. It was the year before. And then just I, I sometimes I just needed something to to switch the button off. Uh, and that was just getting out, getting the running shoes on, and getting out on the road. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, w- once I get passionate about something, I get obsessed by something, and once I'm obsessed, I, I can't. So we're we're going dark. You've poured something here for me. Can you tell me what it is? Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I'm in love with the cocoa. It's uh, basically an English brown ale with with a, a hint of toasted uh, coconut. Okay. Yeah. How so how did you did you toast the coconut or did you buy toasted coconut? We bought toasted coconut. And how yeah. did you add it? Uh, just like a, like we would add a dry hop, but a, in a a hop bag. Uh, and we put it in the in the tank and we circulate it over the back uh, with a pump and we tried it. Uh, Did you use the brown malt from Simpsons? Yeah, it's all English malt, so it's 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 all uh, it's it's basically the be- the entire beer is all Simpsons malt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So talk me through how you think this one turned out. Well, the reason why I'm pouring it is because I. Um, I really, really, really love that beer because it's one. It's it's a dark beer and it's low in ABV, which is sometimes uh, uh, difficult. Uh, oh yeah. Dark beers are most of the times they're just higher in alcohol, uh, especially um, thirst quenching dark beers. Really don't have a lot in Belgium. Uh, we have some examples, but uh, we don't have plenty. And then of course we call it. Uh, I'm in love with the cocoa. So. Uh, in modern day, um, in the modern day beer world, everybody expects a bounty in their mouth, 
but it just it's it's a, it's a classical style and yeah I think we already said that I'm just a huge fan of classical styles but with this little uh, coconut twitch uh, to it it's um it's got a fantastic mouthfeel I would it, the the carbonation level is surely too high for an English heel yeah but it's it's all hazelnuts uh, obviously you've got the the coconut um, like you've got that nuttiness from the the malt it's uh, it's really delicious yeah and it's 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 higher in the in a, a carbonation than, a, than an English ale that's definitely true uh, but we did it also for did a reason did you add like you must have added oats or something that's really creamy uh, no no we didn't it tastes great uh, um, so we were talking earlier about you know you come know, into we did we did add uh, gold naked oats yeah you're right gold naked oats there we go uh, it's just it's got yeah, that kind of fluffiness yeah, in the mouth yeah, you know yeah um, we were talking earlier about um, you coming to Ghent. Um, you know, wh- what's the what's the opinion among other Belgians about the city of Ghent? In what perspective? Just generally. What what, what how is Ghent seen? You can tell me how it's seen. Um, generally, and, and maybe I, I think Ghent is, is known for its. Culinary uh, revolution, which has happened a few years ago. Uh, a few years ago, uh, yeah, you had some uh, really nice uh, revolutionary young chefs, which have shaken the gastronomic world in Belgium to a completely different level. Um, so I think that's a, a big thing about hand that we have a really nice restaurant scene compared to other cities because if you compare hand to other belgian cities okay we're not as big as brussels uh, we're not as big as antwerp uh, and we're not as uh, disneylandy as uh, as bruges um, but i think hand is, is is really unique in its way and then i'm, I'm mimicking uh bruges there's always a bruges hand thing going on because we have kind of similar city centers. We have this really picturesque, romantic, historic uh, city centers. But the difference between Hunt and Bruges is that um, the city is vibrant in Hunt and we don't have a lot of restrictions uh, so that the tourists don't have priority in Hunt. It's a really touristic city, but... It's not the, the kind people, of the... Yeah, it's not the, the, the fairy pe- tale yeah, kind of... Um, yeah. Wonderland that Bruges is. Yeah, I understand. it's just like hand is made to be lived in. Um, so that's uh, I think hand is revolutionary in, in, in many many ways. The restaurant scene is revolutionary. I think the midnight life uh, is also something uh, we should be really proud of in hand. Uh, it's something which has been. Uh, happening for a lot of decades too, so it's not also a new thing. It's really a, t- a tradition here. Uh, you have it's it's a really open-minded city on a, on a lot of different on a lot of different levels. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that feeling when I'm in Ghent. It's it's um, it's progressive. It's open-minded. It feels like you know in a way that you can be whoever you want to be in Ghent. Whereas maybe that's not the case in other cities. 
Yeah, I um, think in a big city that you have that, but then in a big city you have the uh, um, anonymity. The, the anonymity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. anonymity. Um, and hence you, you don't have the anonymity because people know you. Yeah, like I, I, that, that's the beauty about about the city. If I if I take my bicycle and I drive home through the city center, I, I, I can take two routes. If I don't want to see people, I take the the, the ring. Uh, and it's not it, just because you're the city brewer that everyone knows. Uh, no, it's no, 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 no. That's it's uh, it's just I think if you're a little bit of a social person and you just take that route, you'll always meet somebody that you know. You, you talked about like this culinary revolution and, and you know in the last I think maybe let's say seven years has part of that also been in beer because you know I think the, the beer scene here has transformed so much you know in the last sort of six or seven years um, and there's been these kind of diverse characters that have you know tried to kind of fight for their own corner of it and try to promote you know beer in a certain way and, and in a way they kind of found themselves a little bit yeah. uh, in, in something like Hent Braut which was an association to, to bring those people together and they were then able to talk together and, and you know and, and inform others so like yeah. how, how, has, how, has, how have things changed? Uh, yeah like Hent Braut we, we, we funded Hent uh, Braut uh, with some of the, the breweries in hand. Well, basically, you didn't have breweries back then in hand. We, we were all gypsy brewers. We were all starting gypsy brewers. We were all building our own brand. So uh, give, me, give me some names of who was involved at that time. Uh, uh, Dimitri Pilstertin, of course. Uh, Pedro from Largoant. Uh, the people from Krabler were also involved. Um, Wait, was was, to, was Totem and Class involved at that to, time? Yeah, Totem was definitely involved. Yeah. Ruud, Ruud was also involved. Braubar were around at that time. Braubar didn't exist yet. The Medri uh, was involved on a later, in a later uh, phase. Federation, yeah. So basically, yeah. you have all these people doing their own thing, but then they come together to kind of help each other and promote yeah. beer in Ghent. Yeah, that that was that was the big goal. And what was there? Was there? There was no city brewery. There was no. There was just like some. Well, you had this. Yeah, you had. Ruth, which claimed to be the city brewery. Uh, but I mean, you didn't have a. Uh, like a large brewery in the city, you know, that had been there for, no, for years. A, the thing with with Hent is that you have a lot of large breweries trying to claim Ghent. Well, they own a lot of property. They own a lot you of know, property. In terms of cafes, yeah. so yeah, their yeah, beers run. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. So you, you have a lot of Hacht in Ghent, you have a lot of um, uh, Holdendrach from Ertevelde, yeah. Van Steenberghe, yeah. which is in, you know, not too far away, but it's, it's outside the city limits. Yeah, but you don't have this... this Mella, you, you have you, Heuge. You, you, you didn't so. have, have these big city breweries like you have a De La Seine or like you have a Cantillon uh, or... Uh, um, yeah... Or like in, in Leuven, Stella, you know. Voila, yeah. yeah. So you don't you don't have that in Ghent. So no. In a way, was there a sort of a clear path for you that for you guys to kind of just say, right, well, we're going to take this. It was a dream. Um, it was definitely a dream. Yeah, yeah. I told you about my my my, my big example, de la Sama, de la Sande. When I, when I started Hedonis, one of my there wasn't literally written in the business model, but one of my philosophies in my mind was Hedonis was in my mind 
hopefully the next De La Salle of Hand. Um, we also had the, the, the core range that could approach a city on mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, if, if there is a vacuum and you have uh, um, two entrepreneurs like, like Dimi and myself who just want to undertake stuff, and you have a city with no brewery who was producing within the, the city walls, where we don't have city walls, but within the ring. Uh, yeah. Why do you think you and Dimi are, are a good partnership? What's the, what are the, the qualities that you and him kind of give to each other? What are the uh, we constantly challenge each other. We, uh, we enjoy life to the fullest. Uh, we and also the, when we started, uh, he has a lot of um, hospitality experience. He he was the youngest bar owner in Ghent. He was 18, uh, youngest bar owner in Belgium, with the oldest bar of hand, Halhenesque. So Halhenesque is the is the oldest bar of hand, and they just changed the rules. Um, that you could become a bar owner from instead of 21, 18. And it just, they changed it and then he got Talhaneske. So now he's, uh, I probably can't say his age on this podcast <laughs> because, because he's still a young guy. But, but he's a man with experience. He's a man with experience, yeah. Um, but uh, and a lot of experience in, in hospitality. And the, the way we met was, I was this, uh, more this technical, maybe geeky uh, brewer, but with also this rock and roll edge, like he also has. Uh, so we we had a lot of beers together, and we started dreaming, and we saw a lot of brew pubs and tap rooms uh, across the globe. And every time you step into a brew pub, it's it's easy to put your finger on it. Like, is this place owned or run by a brewer or by a, a Hospitality. Uh, yeah, Hurikaman. Hurikaman, yeah. yeah. So we wanted to to make the symbiosis of that boat uh, that it could work on on both ends. Uh, and I think we're we're both ec- extreme figures, and we're both super stubborn, uh, hardworking people who can really tolerate each other's opinions. That's, and, that's what you need in a partnership over a yeah, long term. Um, yeah. We can be pretty rude and hard to, to each other, but we listen to each other and we we, we respect each other with, with a... We have a huge, huge respect for each other. Right, that's so important in yeah. any partnership. And, you know, on, on the sort of the, the topic of beer in Ghent, like so much has changed in say the last six, seven years. Do you have any idea where things might go for beer in Ghent in the next sort of five years? Are you just so focused on your own? No, no. I, d- um, I would be very happy that, that Hand could become this kind of beer capital like Brussels is, Brussels is, but hopefully... Uh, Distribution will always be a problem, I think, because of the fact that so many established breweries own properties, old cafes in Ghent, and they yeah. own the top lines and have that sewn up. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely a, a difficult one. Uh, I'm, I'm super happy now, um, despite all the, all the members in Hambrout, I'm, I'm super happy that we have 
now we're we're having three genuine breweries in hand, and and, and I mean Brouwer. They, like, they, they were a few weeks before us. They they're, they're super nice people. They're a super nice couple. They're they're running this. It's sp- Benjamin and Benjamin and Jolien. Jolien, yeah, they're uh, so nice, and it's such a, a wonderful place to visit. Yeah, and they, they on they the old berg. What, yeah. what is it? 200, 300 liter batches. Yeah, it's and so much work for them. Yeah, and, and they and just they're just doing such a great job there, and I think it's really beautiful what they're doing. Yeah, and then yeah, they don't they don't almost sell their cakes. They only sell them there. They're a lovely couple, and then uh, a really good friend of mine, Farrell. Um, he was involved in Humboldt and Goes, which was yeah. also involved in, uh, in Hembrout back then. Uh, opened up a, a new brewery just a month ago, a Stroom Brewery. Yeah. And I know he's, he's this really passionate uh, brewer. He's from uh, he's, he's from Colorado. Uh, and it, it, yeah, this guy, he, he was also like... What are, what are they going to brew? What sort of stuff? Uh, now they have this Szechuan uh, fake beer, so basically with a, a kvike yeast and Szechuan pepper. They have uh, Belgian Stars and Gold, which is uh, basically a West Coast IPA, but it's his partner is a Belgian guy. It's Karl and, uh, and Farrell, who's running this. So it's Belgian Stars and Stripes. Uh, they have this Raspberry Sour now. What else do they have? They have this Belgian wit beer. They have a Belgian blonde too. They all manually can it. Uh, but they're just genuine. Uh, I know you, you've also been uh, experiencing the, the Belgian brewing and beer scene for a while. And there are a lot of genuine people and there are a lot of marketeers. Uh, and I just love those people who, who, who are willing to put their necks out to to be genuine because is is it the smartest economical move probably not it, it's but those people contribute so much to the community and to, yeah, to the sort of Belgian yeah. beer culture and, yeah. and um, yeah. should really be championed as much as possible I'm gonna need safety tell her I can't snake you Ray gun off safety my girl's so tasty tell her it's your world she want the two-tone spaceship blow smoke screen daily so the stress don't face me I'm going I keep it factual I'm on sabbatical I'm out of Central America. I need a break from hysteria. Like, are you, like, would you describe yourself, disagree with me, would you describe yourself as like an anti-traditionalist? No, not at all. Um, would you Would you have described yourself like that as a brewer in, 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 earlier, in an earlier incarnation? I, I, I think uh, when I started my career, I wanted to... Uh, completely break with the traditional Belgian brewing scene. Uh, I, I, now I, I realize with getting older, I, I more and more romanticize traditional brewing. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm getting more and more a, a balance in between. Um, but like, you know, are there beers that maybe when you were younger, you would have lambasted for being too boring and maybe not taking enough risks and you know too the same as everything else but now you're like well actually that's a really well thought out very well executed beer that I really enjoy drinking I mean I don't know if we're talking about you know some something on the middle there like 
the Rodenbachs of this world where it's like a commercial beer and a commercial yeah. brewery, but actually what they do has incredible romance. Yeah, I think I have it with, with some... People are probably are really going to punch me for saying <laughs> that, but uh, sometimes now I have it with, with some triples. I've always been a huge triple hater. I really I, I didn't know what people... Like, how can you embrace such a boring, yeasty, non-hoppy, not really complex on a malt base style but I, I yeah I, but I, I, don't, I mean I've gone through phases like, like that as well but I think on the on the whole when you're in the game for a long time the, the triple is actually a really um, it's, a, it's got a lot to offer and it yeah. still remains the, the king of all Belgian beers when you look at like how much of it is sold yeah. and like Breweries that release triples just sell out pretty pretty much immediately because they're they are really popular. Yeah, in Belgium. When we started Doc in the beginning, I didn't honestly I didn't wanted to make one, and then uh, people behind the bar they told me like Janos, we're selling more kegs of beers which are, that you are brewing than, and then I started making, then we started making triples, and then after a while, if you're making beers. In a certain style, you you can't make a good version of a beer if you don't respect the style. If you don't know what's happening, but then when you become interested and you look into it, then you learn a lot about it and you see you have, but what, what people to, are to doing. Be, to be honest, you have 95 bad triples in Belgium and you have five good ones. I think that's the most. If you, if you if you don't have but any maybe maybe because the five good ones are good, they're copied a lot and they're copied not so well. I don't yeah I, I think it's just a lot of the flavor spectrum a lot of people know I think I think it's more ignorance is bliss than, than uh, trying to replicate uh, the good examples um, yeah so so looking at looking at you know, on the on the on the question of tradition, then I mean, is Belgian Belgian beer changing, or is it not changing? I think a small part of the scene is changing. I, th I think it's changing really slowly. I think eventually it's changing. I buy. If, if you see what's happening in Brussels, it's changing a lot. Eh? Uh, if you see what's happening in Hand, it's also changing a lot. But it's, it's a lot of it. Is, a lot of it is, is still on the periphery, I guess, as well. From um, the moment on, you go to the to the countryside. Nothing has changed. They 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 sip this really basic uh, new world style, which. We as craft brewers are already ten years. Uh, ten years. Uh, we know we know the styles for already ten years, and, and people they, oh, this is really special. This is oof. This oh, this is bitter or this is sour. Or this is like this is everything but a Belgian blonde. Um, I think with a lot of Belgian drinkers, with a lot of Belgians, like. 
you, you know what what we sometimes get as criticism and that's that's a good uh, way of putting it out um, this doesn't taste like beer so what does beer taste like I think most Belgians have have this way of thinking about beer about this yeast yeah some sort of Estel or phenol, it's a very pronounced yeast. Yeah. It could be banana, it could be bubblegum, it could be apricots. Yeah. yeah. Uh, usually it's fucking clove. Yeah. Uh. You know, that's the, that's the Belgian blonde, six, six and a half percent that you find in most villages, Belgian blonde. You know, they'll throw 20% of wheat in, 80% of pills malt, and it'll be a bunch of clove. Yeah. And like 15 IBU or something. Yeah. And, and just those are, those are like, that's what we in think. They're in their hundreds, those beers, you know. Yeah, and just that, that just to yeah, the the that yeah. Oh. I'm just thinking about the right words in English, to be honest. Um, that that's why I said like I'm a little bit ashamed of, of of putting it out in the public that I'm I'm starting to embrace triples, but I think I was also first the face of going to so many bad triples and then brewing that style and then just um, getting some super super nice classic examples that you enjoy in a completely different way because you're brewing them you know what what how, how fragile how, how delicate the style like that also is um, bad examples whatever uh, but then you also as a brewer see what's happening on the national market and there's a new triple Belgian blonde brewer which poops out a, a beer style like that probably every two minutes in Belgium and then also as, a, as, a, as here in the, uh, in the tap room um, how many requ requests we get from a bunch of friends who, who brew the beer in their garage and they have been trying to brew it for, for two years and they came up with this super innovative, crazy recipe. And then what did you brew? And they said, Belgian blonde or a triple. Yeah, yeah. And then you try it and it's like, there's nothing, I'm sorry to say, to, I'm sorry to say, but there's really nothing unique or special to your beer. You, this, this is, is this what defines you as a brewer? Like, this... It's it's like become some kind of superpower in Belgium. Everybody can make a beer. We're all brewers all of a sudden. But let's not all try to make a beer. Let's try to make the best possible beer we can make. That, that's So we're going to finish with a few questions here. Um, Ode Huse or Pilsner? Oof, that's like choosing between my hand and my foot. 
Uh, Gun to your head. You have to choose one. Is it like something I need to drink all day long? Or is it like... That's up to you. No, no, you don't even need to explain it. You just need to tell me. You can explain it if you want. The, the question is designed not to be easy. Yeah. I th it, yeah. I, I love boats. It's such a, a huge... Uh, Oh. that's really mission impossible for me to choose between those because they're, they're, they're both perfectly suitable for their own uh, look they're both fantastic beer styles yeah. that, 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 that are just and like, yeah. you, you won't be able to, to if, you're, if you're going out a, a night um, you won't be able to drink Hus all night long uh, seriously, we also need our teeth. Uh, we also need uh, our throats, and uh, like, I, it's it's a sour beer. So, uh, I, I love the complexity and uh, production-wise, oh, uh, Like, if I need to drink, uh, yeah, I, I could drink Huse. Production. I'll get. I'll let you answer like that. Production-wise, you're gonna pick Oh the Huse. Yeah. If you're gonna drink it all night, you're gonna drink Pilsner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bottle or can? Um, yeah, can. Um, but I'm also gonna nuance it. <laughs> I'm not so good at yes or no questions. Uh, um, big bottles certainly have their place. Big bottles, they bring romance to a table. They bring a sharing is experience. Uh, they're also really uh, good for, for beers uh, to be aged in. Uh, so exclusive vintage beers, shareable beers, big bottles, uh, no discussion. Everything that needs to be drank fresh, and by fresh I mean, I would say a year, but let's make it Belgian, let's say two years, uh, can. There's, there's no, there, there's even no discussion about it. There's, can is, is, is the best, is, is the, is the best packaging solution for a beer that's meant to be drank fresh. What do people misunderstand about you the most? I think people sometimes think I'm, I'm completely insane. Um, I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm, a, I'm an extreme person. That, that's, there's, there's no denying that. Uh, but I think sometimes I just get obsessed a lot with a lot of stuff that people think, think like, let's just keep some distance with this obsessed. Uh, um, guy. So you know, people think that you're an extreme person, but you're not. Because well, the way I see it is like your your obsession with things is about your passion for them, and it's your way of kind of engaging with them. And I, I think that's just your. your but I, I think it also scares people sometimes a lot um, because well, it's too intense. Well, yeah, I'm 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 a super intense um, 
person. Uh, a lot of uh, factors, in a lot of ways in my life. Uh, when it comes to sports, when it comes to brewing, when it comes to uh, knowledge, basically when I when I dig into something, I I, I dig into deep. Like if I if I go out with my with my friends, I'm I'm always going to be last man standing. And like, um, yeah, there's there's once I, I I take my foot off the of the brakes, I, I push the gas in, and every aspect of my life. Uh, okay, so here here's another question then. What's your biggest failure, and what did you learn from that experience? Um, I'm going to turn your question around a little bit. I'm going to answer it nonetheless, but uh, I think being a parent um, gives you the feeling that you're uh, constantly failing. Um, to be honest, I'm also a single parent since a year. And really the the fear that being a single parent gives you or the, the, the feeling of failure that constantly hits you is huge. It's it's a, it's an everyday feeling. You always have the feeling that you're not doing enough uh, for your kid. But the pride that my daughter gives me goes way above that feeling of failure. Um, if you could give one tip to people about how they live their lives, what would it be? Uh, Never give a fuck about what people think about you. Yeah, uh, whatever extreme or uh, pronounced you are in your expression or way of thinking of or being, you are what you are. And that's beautiful. And if you want to be what everybody wants you to be, you're just gonna be number uh, 300 million 600,022 uh, yeah and my last question Janos Tabats do you love what you do? yeah definitely yeah yeah but there's 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 no doubt uh, I, I take away from me uh, what I'm doing and I, I wouldn't have Wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna start over again. My first um, reason of existence is my daughter. Uh, after my daughter is uh, everything that I do in life: the the brewery, making the beers, uh, meeting colleague brewers, um, basically everything we're doing here. That's that's. Uh, I think there's. I don't have a lot of limits in between my private and my pro professional life. I think my professional life is so integrated in my private life that it's really. You can't know me without knowing Doc. Uh, that's. This. Yeah. 
No, I mean, and that's, you know, I think that's also part of your, your personality that you throw yourself into everything and everything bleeds into other parts of your life. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some beers with me here at Doc and it's a real pleasure to speak with you. Um, and uh, good luck with the Marathon de Sable, good luck with everything at Doc and I hope we can speak again really soon. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks to Mike Kearney and Dave Wallace for the writing and recording of original music and to Epidemic Sound also for music. And to Visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast. Thanks to you for downloading and listening. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do. (laughs) 